0: Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today for part two on ways in which we grow. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think the best thing that I can do is go out and get myself a milkshake, right? A vanilla or a mocha or a chocolate milkshake, right? It seems like that really helps to solve the pressures that we are feeling. You know, a vanilla shake is one of life's simple pleasures, especially on a hot summer's day. But did you know that the vanilla traces its origins all the way back to a 12-year-old slave boy living in a tiny island in the Indian Ocean? Now, vanilla is now the most popular spice in the world. But back in 1841, the world produced fewer than 2,000 vanilla beans, all in Mexico. Up until the mid-19th century, vanilla orchids were pollinated exclusively by the particular genius of a bee in Mexico. Well, over the years, as demand rose, attempts were made numerous times to industrialize this whole pollination process. But to no avail. That vanilla bean was stubborn. All of this changed thanks to the ingenuity of a 12-year-old slave named Edmund Albius. He lived on a small island 500 miles east of Madagascar. He was uneducated, yet he managed to solve one of the greatest botanical mysteries of the 19th century. In 1822, a plantation owner on the island of Reunion was granted some vanilla plants from the French government. Only one of them survived, and nearly two decades later, it still hadn't fruited. Without that bee pollinator, no one outside Mexico could get their plants to flower. That is until Edmund worked his magic. The owner was walking his plantation with Edmund in 1841 when he discovered, much to his surprise, that his vanilla vine had produced two beans. That's when Edmund revealed, very matter-of-factly, that he had pollinated them by hand. This disbelieving plantation owner asked for a demonstration, so Edmund gently pinched the pollen baron against another pollen-receiving stigma between his thumb and his index finger. By 1858, Reunion was exporting more than two tons of vanilla. By 1867, it was up to 20 tons. And by 1898... It was 200 tons. And it all traces back to a 12 year old boy named Edmund who had hand pollinated a single vanilla vine. From one single vine, a billion dollar industry was created. Now, I want you to know if we can do that with the vanilla bean industry, imagine what we could do if one believer reached another believer in this year. What if each one? of us as followers of Christ would reach one person. Jesus said the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and they can't understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You see, what our world doesn't need is a moral transformation. Uh, We don't morally need to change our world. We need to spiritually change the world. And when the world is spiritually changed, then they will understand and discern through the Spirit what they should be living in. Jesus says that they consider what we talk about as foolishness. Why? Because they have never been pollinated by the Holy Spirit. They've never grown in their relationship with Christ. So what we speak about as far as moral reformation sounds foolish to them. Jesus says the person with the Spirit Makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human logics. For who has known the mind of the Lord and so instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we are to make disciples of all. We are going to be one who is reaching out, touching the lives of others. It is one of the ways that we can know we are growing. Discipline is the other side of discipleship. So let me ask you a question. Are you growing more like Christ? Are you being a disciple? Are you putting Jesus first in all things? Are you following his teachings? Are you living your life in such a way that you are actually bearing fruit? You got to be in the branch of Christ if you're going to bear fruit. Are you living your life in such a way that you are able to love other believers? You know, by nature, I am not a loving type of person. I kind of keep to myself by human nature. But you know, the more I grow in my relationship with Christ, not only do I love Him more, but God gives me a love for others. He even gives me the capacity to love those EGR people. You say, well, who are those EGR people? Extra grace required people. Now, if you're listening to me you say, well, I don't know any EGR people in my life, can I tell you something? Then you are that EGR person, okay? And so Jesus said, a new command I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's a sign of being a good Christian, right? You are loving others as Christ has loved us. In Katy, Texas, as a result of poor planning, uh, Dennis he needed some dry cleaning done. And he needed a, a same-day dry cleaning service. And and so he looked through his phone and he found a dry cleaning service that said and had a huge sign on their website that said, one hour dry cleanings. It was on the other side of time, but he said, Hey, it's worth it if I could just drop my suit off and maybe go to get something to eat and come back and be ready in an hour. So after he filled out the tag, he told the clerk, I need this suit in one hour. She said I can't get this back until next Thursday. Well, I thought you did cleaning in an hour, he said. No, she replied. That's just the name of the store. Now, those of us who carry the name Christian, but fail to act like the one whose name we bear, we create a lot of confusion, a lot of disillusionment for those who have yet to believe. Jesus said this, by this, all men will know that you are disciples not by calling yourself a disciple, not by calling yourself a Christian, but if you love one another. You know, it's exhilarating to see people grow in their faith. We are called to make disciples. So that's the first mark. How are you in this matter of discipleship? Are you involved in growing in your relationship with Christ? Are you weekly meeting with other believers? Are you weakly involved in helping other believers to grow in their faith? Number two, if you're going to continue to grow and you're going to grow exponentially spiritually, then you got to be involved in fellowship. Now, a certain level of fellowship can occur with non-believers, but when you look at it from a purely technical standpoint, fellowship can only occur with believers. In Acts chapter 2.46, it says, Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Okay, this is the early church getting started, and every day they met together. They fellowshiped together. You know the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It celebrates one man's extraordinary generosity, a guy by the name of George Bailey, He is the proprietor of a building and a loan institution. He demonstrates compassion and hope and trust in others, even when adversity strikes. The trouble began when George's absent-minded uncle misplaced $8,000. Well, George realized he could go to jail for his uncle's mistake, and he wished he had never been born. But then, Clarence, that odd body. Clarence, the angel, was dispatched from heaven to show George what the world would have been like had he never been born. George discovered that in spite of all of his financial woes, he was a wealthy man because of the investments he made in his life in other people. You see, George then returned to the real world, grateful to be Alive, even though the law wanted him for missing $8,000, George was thrilled to know he served a purpose in life. As he entered the front door of his home, he saw the bank examiner and the sheriff awaiting him. Eyeing his children, George ran to hug and kiss them. Mary, his wife, entered through the door, and he greeted her with a loving embrace. You have no idea what happened to me, he said. Mary responded, You have no idea. What happened while you were gone? While well, hearing the commotion of an approaching crowd, she motioned for him to stand in the front of the decorated Christmas tree in the living room. Uncle Billy was the first sender into the house, carrying a huge worker basket filled with cash. He dumped it all in front of the table in front of George and exclaimed, Mary told some people you were in trouble, and they scattered all over town collecting money. They didn't ask questions. They just wanted help. I wanted to help. Uh, people then filled the living room, and piled money on the table. Mr. Martini, the owner of the local nightclub, brought in money from the jukebox. Mr. Goward, the druggist, whom George worked for as a boy, brought in all of his accounts receivable funds. Millionaire Sam Wainwright, a lifelong friend, sent a telegram promising cash to cover the missing money. George's war hero brother entered and proposed a toast to my brother, the richest man in town. You see, George eyed a copy of a book on top of the pile of money. He opened it and discovered it was a gift from God. I want you to know that when God changes your life, you can't help yourself but wanting to share that with other believers. That's what fellowship. Is all about. Fellowship is one Christian with another Christian, uniting together, coming together with a bond as brothers and sisters in Christ. You notice that happens at church, don't you? When somebody is born again, they are your brother and sister in Christ. You know what? I have the privilege of leading somebody to the Lord. After they accept Christ and they receive this wonderful gift of forgiveness, this wonderful gift of everlasting life, I will say to them, hey, welcome to the family. I said, you may not know this, but we are now brothers in Christ, or we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I said, you're part of my family. And I said, I want you to know that I'm so glad that you are part of my family. You know, we're part of the family of God. If you have been born of God through the Holy Spirit, you are brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, that creates a unique bond that we have between believers. It is a bond that cannot be be broken. Well, fellowship is so important. You know, on a typical Friday night at the Wilkin house, there was a spontaneous dinner, and a growing number of neighbors came and friends came. The kitchen began to swell with people and with chatter. The dad leaned over to each of his kids and whispered a code that they were probably expecting. F HB. And now I have shared a similar thing with my kids when a bunch of people came over to the house that I wasn't really expecting, right? FHB. What does that stand for? Family hold back. Maybe you know this strategy too. Surveying the food and all the relatives and the guests that have shown up, uh, you discover that you, it looks like uh, you might not have enough food. I mean, it became apparent that we needed a miraculous solution, right? The five loaves and two fishes. And so the husband prayed over the meal and then quietly the Wilkins slipped to the back of the line, serving themselves very minimal portions to stretch out the food. They knew they wouldn't go without. It was not a matter if they would eat, but it'd be a matter of when. Worst case, We'd order pizza once our guests had gone home. You see, nobody wants to be at the end of the line. Given the choice, we want to be first, to get the full portion, to sit in the most comfortable chair. But Christ followers understand that life is about more than doing what we want. It's about doing what we wish. Let me explain. We can all imagine times when we wanted to be treated better, when we longed for more care more recognition, maybe more grace than we have received from others. We are not wrong to hold these wishes. I mean, they illustrate the basic human need to be known, to be loved, to be accepted. And what we do with this and how we feel better about our wishes, met and unmet, we shape the course of our lives. To this end, Jesus invites us to live lives directed by wishful thinking, though not in the same way that we might anticipate. Look what he said in Matthew 7, 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Put simply, Jesus tells us to do what we wish. Thinking about our own wish list, when we then act accordingly toward others, that becomes part of our wish list. We do to others as we wish they would do to us. We give the encouragement we wish we had received, and we serve as we wish to be served. We step to the end of the line, and then we move to the least comfortable chair. We defer what we wish for ourselves instead of securing it for others. Now, at the end of "It's a Wonderful Life," there's an angel that has this inscription. Clarence the angel had this inscription: "No man is a failure who has." Friends. So when we think about biblical fellowship, that is part of growing more like Christ. There's seven types of biblical fellowship. Uh, Let me give them to you quickly, okay? Biblical fellowship actually begins with the fellowship of the gospel. Philippians chapter one, Paul says, I thank my God upon every time I remember you. I love how Paul puts that. He said, Man, every time I think about you, my Philippian believers, I thank God for you. You know what will revolutionize your life? Every time you meet somebody at church, say, You know, every time I think about you, I thank God for you. Paul says, I always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from this day until now. So Paul looks at this matter of fellowship and says, Okay, it begins with the fellowship of the gospel. Secondly, there is the fellowship of the body of believers. Acts chapter 2, 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They broke bread and they were together in prayers. In Galatians chapter 2, it talks about Paul and Barnabas extending the right hand of fellowship. You ever wonder why we shake with the right hand? Because we're extending fellowship. This actually comes from Galatians chapter 2. 1 John 1, 3 talks about the fellowship that we have together. So there's fellowship of the gospel, there's a fellowship of the body of believers, and there's also the fellowship of the Spirit. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort in love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, there he mentions the fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection, any mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Being in communion with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You know, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Whenever we do something that we ought not to do, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is removed from us. It means that the Holy Spirit is saddened because of the way we're living. We are out of fellowship. I guess you could say it's kind of like a marriage relationship. You know, I hate to say this, but there have been times, not very many times, but there's been a few times when my wife and I were not on speaking terms. We were out of fellowship. Now, even though we weren't on speaking terms, it didn't mean we were no longer married. Oh, we were still husband and wife. We were still legally married in the eyes of the Lord, in the eyes of the law. However, we were out of fellowship. How do we get back into fellowship? We confess. We apologize. First John 1 9. When you're out of fellowship spiritually, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So we fellowship in the Spirit. And then we have the fellowship of the Son. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 9, God is faithful, by whom you are called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Our Lord. So, this is when we are in communion with the Spirit, with the Son, and fellowship of the Father. So, it's all three Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one that we are fellowshipping with. The fellowship of the Father is 1 John 1 3. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we've covered five ways in which we fellowship. Fellowshipping with the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Fellowshipping also with other believers in the body of Christ, the fellowship of the gospel. But there's more. We are also to have the fellowship of his suffering. Now we should just skip by this one because nobody likes to have the fellowship of suffering. But Paul is very clear. Philippians 3:10. He says I want to know him I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of suffering being conformed to his death. You see, Paul understood that in order to identify completely with Christ, we also had to fellowship in his suffering. We had to share in his suffering. You know, right now, my mother-in-law is battling brain cancer, and outside of a miracle of God, she won't be with us too much longer. What has been amazing is that we have been blessed with so many people that have shared in this fellowship of the suffering that we are going through as a family. We haven't been going through it by ourselves. We've had so many people that have been right there alongside with us, encouraging us during our times of suffering. There's one last area that I got to cover before our time is up, and that is the fellowship of the mystery. Now, this one is exciting when I think about it. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. He says, Now, to me, whom am least among all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And now, Paul here says, God has divinely called me to be part of teaching. Gentiles, the unsearchable riches in Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Now, this is amazing. Paul is telling us, as followers of Christ, we have the fellowship of the mystery. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that the things that have been hidden from the beginning of the ages are hidden in God. And as we fellowship with him, he begins to give us a manifold wisdom of God, which can only be made known through the church, the principalities, and the powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purposes which he has accomplished in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So let me explain what Paul is talking about. Paul is very clear. That as we fellowship with other believers, as we fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we fellowship with the gospel, as we are joining in the fellowship of suffering, we begin to fellowship in mystery. In other words, we begin to understand how God has been working since the very foundations of the world. We get insight into not only what he's doing in the past and what he's doing in the present, but also what he's doing in the future. In other words, the mystery begins to be revealed to us through fellowship with the Spirit. God makes known to the church. Now, notice how he mentions the church. We've got to be connected into the body of believers in order to gain this fellowship of mystery. If you are willing to do this, you will discover that God gives you a heart of discernment. In 1 John 1.13, it says, That which we have seen, that which we have heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may believe and have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, I'm going to have to go a third day on this lesson of five ways in which we grow. Join me tomorrow, and we'll talk about Worship, And and we'll finish up this study on five ways in which we grow. As I close off the broadcast, I want to pray that God will fill you with his wisdom. God will fill you with his spirit. I'm going to pray that God gives you insight into the difficult decisions that you've got to make in the weeks and the days ahead. So, Lord, everyone that's listening to this broadcast right now, I pray that you fill them with your spirit, that you guide them in wisdom that you give them protection from the evil one. For those who are going through times of suffering, Lord, help them not to go through it alone. Help them to fellowship with others, others who have gone through similar sufferings, not so that they can compare wounds, but so that they can compare and celebrate how you have brought them through that difficult time. Lord, we pray that we will love you as you love us so that we can love others as you love others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my friend, if I can pray for you, I'd be honored to pray for you. Shoot me a text message, 252-267-2365. God bless you, thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash one eight nine zero five five seven, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 AM. We'd love for you to join us.